one of the things that I always think about is I, you can have a plan and in the back of my mind, there's always this idea that I could wake up tomorrow and it could all be gone. Hey everyone, I'm Sujin Park and welcome to Open Account, where we take an intimate and honest approach to conversations about money. Together with the folks at Umqua Bank, we've created this podcast to get people to open up about living with and sometimes without money. For Brian Clay, this was his reality in 2012. It was just four years after he won the gold medal in the decathlon at the Beijing Summer Olympics, an achievement that earned him the title of greatest athlete in the world. He was flying high. Sponsorships from Nike, BMW, Visa, and of course, that iconic Wheaties box. This is what Olympic dreams look like. And in 2012, he was poised to make history by winning a third Olympic medal when the unexpected happened. And he didn't just lose his spot on the U.S. team, but he lost his livelihood and his dream. How do you recover from something like that, especially when it's the only plan you've had for your life? How do you teach yourself to do something new, not panic, ask for help, And how do you manage your finances when the market for what once earned you money, your identity, has completely changed? This is the question we asked Brian. So, Brian, thank you so much for being here. Um, And tell everybody what you do and who you are. So my name is Brian Clay. I was a 2008 Olympic gold medalist in the decathlon, 2004 Olympic silver medalist in the decathlon. But now I'm a dad of three. Uh, I'm a husband to a pretty amazing wife. And I've got my own companies that I'm running and that I've created and founded. And uh, and so I'm learning about the entrepreneurial world and the business world and, and trying to be the best dad and husband I can be. So you come from a sport where there's many different events, and so you're wearing many different hats. It seems only appropriate that your life is as full as it is. You know, yeah. it's it's fitting for a decathlete. <laughs> I mean, we do 10 events over two days. And yeah. so I love, you know, this this idea of having multiple irons in the fire all at once. And I like the, the pressure of it, believe it or not. And, and even a little bit, I like the stress of it kind of, but, um, but it keeps me on my toes. I feel like it, it's a challenge and I love challenges. And so I really enjoy it, but most people think I'm a little bit crazy. <laughs> so I, I want to go back to the beginning, but I almost feel like your beginning and your story begins even before you were born about how when your mother was pregnant with you, she would walk the track. Yeah, you know, so my mom, when, when I was, I mean, I wasn't there, I was in her <laughs> stomach. So I, you know, she would used to tell me this story, but um, she would do this very weird thing. She would wake up and she would kind of get out of bed and she would go for a morning walk. And so believe it or not, nine months pregnant, she would hop over a fence to the track uh, that was across the street from this was in Austin, Texas. And she would walk the track um, with me in her stomach. And, and as she would walk the track, she would pray that there would be some a calling on my life that would be special. Yeah. Um, and she used to tell me this, believe it or not, before I even had gone to the Olympics. She would tell me this as I was a little kid. And she'd always say, you know, something great is going to happen with you because I just know it. Yeah. And, and I'd be like, oh, mom, you're crazy. Like, there's no way. So my mom, you know, did what, what she could and said, okay, well, I don't want him to to do any team sports because he can't function with teams. And so she said, you can run or swim. Those are the two things that I I was pretty good at. Um, And and so um, I always say I I didn't want to wear a Speedo, so I chose track and field. What happens between that and becoming a professional athlete? 
there were a lot of kids growing up that, that thought they were going to go to the Olympics and all that stuff, but they didn't know what the rest of the world had to offer. Because when you grew up in Hawaii, it's very easy to, to think yeah. just about Hawaii. Like, I didn't know geography. I didn't know where all the other states were. I could care less who the president was. Didn't care about any of that stuff because that wasn't Hawaii. That wasn't, it didn't, never affected us, you know. But I entertained it enough to say, well, I probably will never make it because I can't, I, my grades aren't good enough. And I don't remember who it was, but somebody, you know, kind of challenged me and said, listen, you could get your grades up a little bit and and this could be a way for you to get off the island. So my junior year, I really tried to focus in and get my grades up. I think I brought my, my, my that year, my report card was like a 3.2 from like, you know, a 2.0, like almost 1.9 kind of GPA. And when that happened, I got more letters. And, and then my senior year, it was like, there was all this stuff and it was very evident that I could actually go to school and get school paid for. And so I, I kind of buckled down on my grades. Long story short, I ended up going to Azusa Pacific University, and that's where uh, they decided that they wanted me to do the decathlon. And now for those of us who are not sports-oriented, I mean, I know, of course, I've heard of the decathlon mm-hmm. until I started to really research this interview. I'm like, who in their right mind, <laughs> if there are options on the table, yeah. picks this insane sport you know that you, it sets you up time and time again to fail yeah this it really is does. a sport of failure yeah. not of winning it's trying to and, break you and you're I mean, like really yes that's yeah. what i'm gonna base my life on you know to be honest so i thought i was gonna grow so be in high school um and i'd say right around my junior my junior year up until that point i thought that my contribution to the world was going to be I was going to work at 7-Eleven and I was going to surf in the mornings and surf in the evenings and kind of work, you know, in the middle of the day. I mean, that's what I thought my contribution would be. And that's not to knock anybody that works at 7-Eleven or anything like that. But that's that was just that was all I could see for, for my future. And you were OK with that. And I was OK with that. Yeah. That's what it was going to be. But this is a sport for you. And, and you're really good at this. Mm-hmm. So 2004 comes along. Talk about that moment, because that was that was sort of world stage in a way that is hard to imagine for someone. Yeah. You know, it was so crazy how 2004 came along because I'd always been thinking about going to the Olympics, but you never really let yourself again. You There's this protection mechanism that doesn't allow you to fully believe that it's going to happen because you don't want that heartache if it doesn't, you know, and I get to the Olympic games uh, in 2004 in Athens Um and I, I start the first event, and I do very, very well. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. This is in Athens. In Athens. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is the most amazing moment I've ever had in my life. You know, we're in the, the Olympic Stadium in Athens, the birthplace of the Olympics. It's my first Olympics. The Greeks are beating this drum, and they're chanting, you know. And and it hits me, like, this is what I've been dreaming about my entire life. And so I start crying, you know. And I went on to, uh, after that jump, a personal best in the long jump, uh, of course, come home and, and win the silver medal in the decathlon. Uh, first medal I'd ever won. Never in a million years did I expect that to happen at that Olympics, but it did. Uh, it was such a special, special time for me. And then at that point, um, you're looking straight ahead to the next Olympics? Or what? what where is your mindset there? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, of course, so you win the silver and, and, you know, you kind of give yourself some time off. And then the sponsorships start to roll in, right? Because now it's like everybody wants to attach themselves to you. And so over the next couple, you know, next few months, you're trying to capitalize on, on your success. But very quickly after that, you start to think, okay, what am I going to do next? Yeah. 
and financially at this point, I would imagine has to be like the peak or I well, mean, at least climbing that where, how does that I work? Mean, I, I would say it wasn't the peak. You're, yeah. you're starting to, to sign new deals. I would say over the next few years, you start to sign new deals. Um, I, I did really well because the way it usually works with contracts, you sign a contract and when you're not real good, they'll sign you to a very small contract. Right. My first contract, I think was like $10,000 or something like that. Maybe actually it might've even been $5,000 a year. It was very, very small. Whoa. But what they do is, is they give you bonuses, right? Cause they want to incentivize you to do well. And so a lot of times it's, it's this, this game, right? It's like, let's get them for the least amount of money possible um, so that nobody else can get him right. because we think there's some potential there, but let's bonus, let's give him huge bonuses so that if he, if he, you know, he has all the reason to, to try to do well. And so I was making great money very, very fast. Like overnight, it was yeah. like, oh, great. I've got all these bonuses coming in. And so there were some things that we had to learn, like taxes. I hadn't, I didn't know anything about taxes. I didn't know to save for taxes. So, of course, you know, you go and spend your money. And I had just gotten married just before that, 2004. Uh, we had bought our first house uh, right after that because we got all this money. We're like, we're doing great. You know, 24 years old, own your own home, married, um, got a dog, found out that we were pregnant, uh, that my wife was pregnant and, and we were going to be having our first kid. Uh, I mean, it was a crazy, crazy year, but, um, got into a little bit of trouble at the end of the year when, when taxes rolled around and I realized, Oh crap. Like I spent that. <laughs> you're, you're supposed to save money for tax. Like, what are these? Why do we have to even pay these? You know, I'm not old enough to pay taxes. Um, and then of course it goes on to 2005 and 2006 and 2007 and really when things start to really ramp up is the year before the Olympics. So so you train and you're focused on 2008 and and you never you don't actually know if you're going to make the Olympic team. There's no guarantee that you're going to be on that next Olympic team. And so you even even though you've won a medal, it doesn't matter that it doesn't you've matter. won all of these. You could be the these. best athlete in the world and and it wouldn't matter. So so it was tough. I remember sitting down with my wife and I remember saying, you know, listen, if I don't do well, like you may have to go out and and start working because we've been blessed enough that she's been able to stay home with our kids. Um, you know, I may have to go out and get like a real job, you know, which was terrifying for me. I was thinking about like, what are we going to do if it all goes away? Like maybe we move to Seattle and, and move in with your parents, you know, and until we can get back on our feet and maybe I have to go get a coaching job or, you know, something like that. We just didn't know. And and so all of that is weighing on you as you enter into the the Olympic trials in 2008 and you've got sponsors, you know, that are that are expecting you to win. They're expecting you to win. You've got a country that expects you to win. You've got a state like Hawaii, who is a very proud state. And it all hinges on whether or not you're going to do well for it to be successful yeah. or not. So you win the gold. Yeah. You yeah. The gold. It, it all worked out. <laughs> it all worked out. 2008, you're standing up there. I know that it has to be a bizarre mind-numbing out-of-body experience it is it's 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 just a weird I, I don't know how to explain it to people but i was just laying on the track and it's like oh my gosh it almost didn't feel real you know and as i was laying on the track this slideshow of my life started to go through my head and i would see all these different times you know we we're talking about how my life wasn't perfect growing up but i'd see all these times in my life and and these different slides and and i remember thinking it was worth it. Like yeah. everything I've been through leading up to this point was was absolutely worth it. And what was so satisfying for me is that I was able to accomplish my wildest dream and I, and I didn't feel like I lost who I was. Mm. I still maintained 
and, and hung on to the things that were most important in life. Um, and yes. so that was a really proud moment for me um, after awesome. winning in, in Beijing. Okay, so then we're fast forwarding through another four years. Yeah. And you've won the you've won the silver, the gold. Obviously, you know, you're thinking, okay. Well, you know, at the time, uh, you're really contemplating, do mm-hmm. I hang it up, right? Because you yeah. kind of reach the top. It's yeah, like, like, you know, two medals. Like, not a whole lot of people have won two decathlon medals in, in the Olympics. So that was already a big feat. And then, you know, you're thinking, okay, I'm getting older. The next time, the next Olympics, I'm going to be 32 years old. Like very few people have won medals after 30 um, in terms of the decathlon. And and of course, now I've got all kinds of sponsorships. I mean, I had, you know, BP and and, uh, Visa and all these sponsors, you know, that were all kind of as a part of my team now. I was making, you know, great money. I think... I think I was making just under a million dollars a year. I mean, three quarters of a million dollars a year or something like that. Um, it was great. Um, there was no needs. I had money and save, you know, savings that I had been putting away. Like I was paying my taxes, you know. I mean, all that stuff was happening. It was going great. But anyways, you, you kind of go through that and we get to 2012. And I'm looking at being the first decathlete to ever win three Olympic medals. No decathlete in history has ever won three Olympic medals. And so I'm thinking, you know... We just got just get a bronze. Like, I mean, worst case scenario, let's just try to get a bronze. Um, and it's a big deal. And a lot of the marketing that we're doing is all geared around that. A lot of my sponsors, I mean, that's what it was all geared around. And I, I, I get to the Olympic trials in Oregon at the University of Oregon. And uh, and we start the competition. And it was a rough competition. Things didn't go well for me. And, and I ended up uh, second day hitting a hurdle and falling. Um, in the race. And and at that point, I think you even felt that you were disqualified. When I was falling, my hands had hit one of the hurdles, mm-hmm. even though I was in the act of falling. And so they actually did disqualify me. They told me I was disqualified. And so then I was like, oh, there's no chance. I, I, there's no way I make the Olympic team with nine events. Oh, my God. What and are so you thinking at this point? It just sucked. I mean, you're, I didn't want to be there. No. I, I, you're all done. I you're gone. To you're out of the stadium get at off this point. the track. Yeah. I mean, not only do you see your dreams all come crashing down, but I'm thinking of all my sponsors. My kids are there. My wife's there. My family has all flown out to all watch. Like, what is everybody thinking, you know? And you get and I, emotional. So I, uh, yeah, so you're emotional. You know, you're trying not to cry. You're trying not to be angry. You're trying not to feel embarrassed. Um, so, I, you know, anyways, I finished it. I, I pole vaulted. I ran the 1500 and finished the race. But um, but that was my last my last track meet. Um, and that's that's when my career was over. And, and uh, I decided after that that, like, listen, I, I was tired of fighting. Um, I had woken up and I had thought to myself, you know, my entire life has been a fight. What I realized is that it didn't matter how many medals I had won. It didn't matter what I had accomplished um, up until that point. What I realized is that it was always going to be what have you done for me today? You know, just win another one. In fact, I remember having a conversation with my rep, my running rep at Nike. And I said, you know, what's it going to take for me to like, feel like I'm not just a number at Nike for Nike to like notice me. And I remember him saying very, very bluntly, don't worry about that. Just go out and win. Just go out and win. And, and it was like, wow. I've won a silver medal. I've won a gold medal. I'm, I was, at the time, the second highest score for a decathlete ever in the U.S. I had multiple world championship medals. 
you know, one of the most decorated decathletes in history, all those things. And, and it was like, just go win one more. Concentrate on winning the next the next medal. And, and I just realized that if it wasn't good enough for them now, it would never be good enough for them. And that was this very sobering thought for me. And so I, it was at that point that I said, you know, I, I'm just done. Yeah. I, I don't want to do this. It's not fun anymore. It's not what I want my life to be about. And during this time um, that you're dealing with all of this, both from a financial, mental, psychological, mm-hmm. I mean, it really is kind of such a big break in the path for yeah. you. Um, your agent, you find out. Is it around this time that you find out or yeah, it was, soon it after? Yeah, it was soon after that. So you, you deal with, you know, your career just ended mm-hmm. and I'm having to deal with everything from where is my next paycheck coming from? What is life going to look like? You're dealing with all this stuff. Are you going to be able to keep your house? What are you going to do for a job? What is your worth? What are you worth to other people now? You know, and and how do you how do you find that worth to other people? And then I I find out as I'm trying to pick up and pull together all the loose ends that that my agent um, that I was using had basically taken everything financially. Um, and, and that was a, that was a tough, tough thing because it's somebody that you trust, somebody that you think is going to, um, that has your best interest in mind. I mean, we, he was like family. It was, it was, it hurt so much and you feel so violated, but, but basically all of our savings, everything that we thought we were going to be okay with, with the next few years was all of a sudden gone. And having to deal with that was, was a difficult, difficult time in our life. I mean, we basically took all of our savings that we had and we had to live off of that. Um, there were taxes that were owed that, that now you didn't have the, I didn't have the money to pay. And so I've got my tax attorney calling the IRS, trying to work out deals to figure out payment plans and all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, everything was great. And overnight, all of it comes crashing down. Um, plus the emotional side of things where you, you just were violated by, by, by someone that you trusted and that you loved and that you cared about. And so all that to say, uh, you had the 2012 stuff going on. You're losing sponsorships left and right because it's after the Olympic year and that's just what happens. And I'm not competing anymore. And at this point, you've already decided you're not going to yeah. compete again. Yep, that's exactly. I had already shut it down. Mm-hmm. Um, so the money you were making is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. While all the savings that you had, you're having to live off of. And, and the money that was supposed to be coming in has been stolen. And so you're juggling all these pieces and you have all these bills that you have to pay and a lifestyle that you're, you're trying to support. Um, and so we start doing what, what you have to do when that happens, which is you start cutting back, you know. And so we were down to one car. Um, we sold our house that, that was our rental unit that we had um, that was kind of our, one of our investments. Um, we had to sell that. The money that we made off of that we used to pay taxes. We started cutting back on groceries. I was riding a bike to and from work, you know, and, and, and around town to just try to get around without having to, to have another car. We were literally, were down to our last $3,000. I had $3,000 in my bank account um, before I was going to have to, with no job, um, no job. My wife was starting to go back and substitute teach to try to make some money, but that, you know, that's not every day. That's, you know, you have to take what you can, what comes 
Um, and it was a really, really trying time for us. And, and, you know, one of the crazy things that happened just before all of this was I was in the shower, my wife was in the bathroom and we had a lot of friends that were going through some, some marriage, uh, a lot of marriage issues and divorce and all those types of things. And my wife and I were having a discussion. I said, you know, we're talking about all this. And I said, you know, the thing that, that scares me, as I said, so many of our friends, it seems like so many of their issues revolve around finances, around money. And, uh, and I said, I, I, I just, I don't think this is true, but I said, I just hope that the reason why our marriage is so great, I hope it's not because we haven't had any financial trouble. And it was the next day, the very next day that I found out that my agent had taken everything. And and so all that to say, all of this stuff happens, um, and I'm in a panic and, and depressed and not knowing what to do and thinking, you know, how is justice ever going to be served on this? And I can't even think about how starting that process because I'm just trying to survive at this point. Um, and I remember as I'm going through this, you know, and I'm panicking, you know, my wife says, you know, listen, like, as long as we're healthy and we're together, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how freeing that was to know that like, listen, my wife's not going to leave me just because I'm not providing to the, to the standards that I, that I feel like I, I need to provide by. Cause it wasn't expectations on her part. It was just more the expectations that I put on myself, you know, as, as a, as a husband and as the provider to, to provide for my but, family. But you as who you are, like when we talk about this striving for perfection. Yeah. And it, that's, that's not, that's the perfect that's not what it was. story, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, we started down this path and out of the desperation of trying to figure out like, who am I and what is my value? What do I, what do I have to contribute to the world? What are my skills? I had to, to figure out how I was going to, to rebuild. Um, and I, and there were a couple of things I, I did not want to, to coach full time and I didn't want to just go and, you know, sell used cars or, you know, do something like that. Like I, 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 I that's not just, that's not who I was. Um, and so I was coaching a, a guy's daughter because that was how I could make a little bit of extra cash. And, and I was miserable because I didn't want to do it. And this person uh, says, you know, hey, I've been watching you do this. And I'm just wondering, have you ever thought about how you could take your skills and scale them into something bigger? And I thought, huh, I, I don't know what you mean. And so so we had started having these discussions. And and what that prompted in me was for me to sit back and actually try to figure out what are my skills? What are the things that I had learned? Because Just, that's a conversation about self-worth. Right, the one, exactly. The, and you had been searching for that. Yeah. And so when that conversation becomes clearer, right. all of a sudden the you're world, like, whoa, you know, it was like yeah. light bulbs went off. And, and so then it was just a matter of taking those skills and saying, okay, well, what do I want to do? Who do I know? And what are they doing? And so I started learning that I had to network and I started talking to people and sharing with people and all the ideas that I had, because I was always an ideas guy and I'd write one pagers on all these ideas. And there were a lot. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many one pagers I still have at my house that are like just sitting there. And I'm like, should I toss this? Cause like, nobody's ever going to want to do it, but, a kitty litter but they box. were there. Yeah. It's like crazy, <laughs> you know? Um, but eventually one of the guys was, uh, that I was talking to was this guy that I was training his daughter and he was the CTO for DreamWorks. His name is Ed Leonard. And so we started talking about ideas and, and out of that came a, a small tech company that we built and it was, it's called PK Fitness. It's an app that we've built. It's an effort app and it tells you how hard you're working out 
in real time while you're working out. So it was a really fun project and we're in the middle of doing that right now. And so I kind of entered into this entrepreneurial um, realm of business um, and I found out that I loved it. So you just made a very exciting announcement about a new business. Um, So tell everybody about Eat the Frog Fitness. Yeah, so ETF or Eat the Frog uh, Fitness is is a group fitness franchise that we started. And the reason why we named it uh, ETF Fitness or Eat the Frog Fitness is because of a quote by Mark Twain. And the quote was, you know, I'm going to paraphrase here, but it was, if your job is to eat a frog, it's best to do it first thing in the morning. And if your job is to eat two frogs, then it's best to eat the biggest one first. And so it's all about, you know, not procrastinating and attacking the hardest thing of your day uh, and getting that done because the rest of your day will fail in comparison to that moment. Right now, this this moment in your life, this time capsule, um, is it sort of like the light, the breath that, that it is? Yeah, because I feel know? that as you're talking about it, your whole you know yeah. face lights up. You know, it's it's like listen, it's it's the same thing that I had when I was when I won the gold in Beijing. And, you know, you're looking back over your life and you see all these different times in your life. And, you know, you sit back and you go, you know, that was worth it. Yeah. Like my chances, I, I remember Googling, what are your chances of winning an Olympic gold medal in Beijing? And I think one of the stats, and I have no idea if it's right or not, but one of the stats said something like 22 million to one. Like, those are not good odds. So, it, like, building a business to me, I'm like, shoot, we can do that. You know, like, if my if I could make 22 million to one odds happen... Yeah. I can do this. And so I, I've taken all the skills from from that I had to use to to beat those odds. And I'm trying to bring them into the, kind of this entrepreneurial business world. And, and so far, it's been great. It has been absolutely amazing. You know, it was okay. I get it now. You know, it was a, it's the same thing now. And, and listen, these businesses, you know, they could fail. You know, they could explode. I, I don't know. And I think that's what my experiences in life have have taught me is not to make decisions out of fear, not to run into a hole and hide when something happens, but it's to to, to embrace it. Because I think it's interesting, you know, as I would, as I'm sitting here with you, you know, in my mind, you sit with an Olympic athlete and, and, and everybody knows your story and, and that sort of thing. And you think that, you know, He's going to be one of those people that's going to give me an answer to failure that's going to fit into a tiny little thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to be quick. He's going to be like, these are the tips on how to get over failure. One, you pick yourself up, you know. And it's interesting because yeah. I sit here and it's so much more real and more connected than that. Because when you fail in that moment, you're failing. Yeah. There's no like, well, what do I got to learn from yeah, this? Nope, you know, like, nope. okay, I got $3,000 in the bank and, yeah. you know, this... So it's interesting because I think it time is also the equalizer, right. right? And as you look back, and I love that you tell the story with such honesty because I think it could be very much glossed over where you say like, it was fine, you know, I thought about it, I mourned it, it was and then I moved on, but as you're failing, you're just failing. You're just failing. There's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no listen, there's no secret to yeah. it. I mean, you just Honestly, you know, there's this kind of this term that I think has become very popular um, and they talk about, you know, grit, mm-hmm. having grit. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because, you know, you've lived such a contrast, right, between gold medal mm-hmm. and the child you you had and then 2012 and the last couple of years. And, you know, it's one thing. It's, it's funny because as a parent, you start 
sounding like those like quote books. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Well, you can't give up. And, <laughs> yeah, and you're just like you you hate yourself when you right. say it, but you're like you have no idea how true these I are. Know, like, I know. and and no matter how many times you say it and you say it and you say mm-hmm. it, I think it is only when you fail. Right. And get on the other side of that, Mm -hmm. that you're like, damn it. So I I would always, uh, because my parents got divorced, I've always, and my dad wasn't really involved in my life. And I had my stepdad, but, you know, that that was a tough relationship. Now our relationship is much better, but growing up it was tough. Um, I always longed for uh, older, wiser men in my life, right? I I love the conversations and and being able to sit down and, and really like say, like, I don't know what to do. Like what, you know. And and I was I'm always amazed at, you know this this sort of wisdom that they have, you know. Um, but I'm also always frustrated at it because you go and you sit down with these guys and you'll you'll talk to them and you'll say, "This is my life and this is what I'm going through and what do I do?" and and the answers always seem so simple. How are you financially today? Like what what's it look like for you in this moment? You know, I think uh, the challenges for me today, uh, kind of financially, one is just to to rebuild, right? We're still rebuilding from everything that happened with my agent and, and, and all that was taken there. And so so that's been a little bit of a process. And, and I think that's going to continue to be a process for a little bit. I think we're in a good place. And what I mean by the fact that we're, we're in a good place is, is some of the lessons that we've learned. One, I, I've learned not to hang on to, to money too tightly, right? Uh, I, I think uh, one of the things that I always think about is I, you can have a plan and, and you know, we talked about all this planning and things and, and I do that financially. But in the back of my mind, there's always this idea that I could wake up tomorrow and it could all be gone. It's not something that, that is circumstantial. It's, it's a choice. Yeah. And so whether you have money or not, you have to choose to be to be right. joyful and be happy. And so so that's been extremely helpful for us right. in terms of where we are, you know, in our personal life. Um, some of the other things I've learned is, you know, I will be involved and I have been involved in, in every deal that I do from here on out. Every contract that's signed, every check that comes in is something that that flows to me first because money has a funny way of of bringing the worst out in people. You don't want to ever put yourself in a position where where you're having to trust someone with your money because why would you want to have that muddy that relationship? So there's that and and you know just understanding um uh, our finances better, you know, just like I planned with with my track career, you you have to have a plan for your your money. And so setting goals, understanding how to focus and and, and hone in on those goals, um, understanding how to get rid of some of the distractions, you know, that you're spending your money on and and, and whittle that down. All of those things have have allowed us to to kind of build back up to a point to where, you know, we can have some of those little luxuries in life. But at the same time, I'm always thinking, like I said, how do I make sure that, again, I still want to have my house paid off by the time I'm 40. I've got three years. Like, how am I going to get it done? I'm not exactly sure, but I'm but I'm always trying to find ways and opportunities to to create that dream and to make that dream happen. In our society and culture, we don't often tell stories about things not working out unless we can find the happy ending to that story. You know, a story that says, I failed, but in that experience, I found the formula for my success. It's because we aspire to be a society of champions, 
And we love the idea of a phoenix rising from the ashes. It's a metaphor that we find in almost every story we tell, especially when we talk about athletes and sports. For Brian, we could tell that story, the one that has that proverbial happy ending. But it's not how Brian tells his own story. He doesn't counterbalance losing sponsorships, not making the Olympics, with a rosy present-day reality. He's still recovering, rising up from those things. And for him, the more important story is about understanding the failure, what didn't work, what happened, and reminding himself to look at what he has, not what he's lost. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and stay tuned for a lot more. And we want to know what you think. You can be part of this conversation by giving us your feedback or telling us your story at made to grow slash open account or on social media. We're at Umqua Bank on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Open Account is created by Umqua Bank and produced in collaboration with Slate Group Studios.